the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Com slash commercials. The following program is sponsored by The Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy presents the case for evangelism. Why do we evangelize? Because our neighbors don't worship the God that created them. Why do we evangelize? Because our neighbors are in danger of everlasting destruction. Why do we evangelize? Because Jesus told us to. We know the why. But what about the high? How do we do it? Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy is stating the obvious, right? As Christians, of course we're supposed to be sharing the gospel and making disciples. But just how do we do that? Are there any biblical instructions to follow? Well, stay tuned because Philip is giving us the answers to these questions in a message titled Salty Speech. If you have your Bible handy, open to Colossians chapter 4, where you'll find the Apostle Paul schooling us on how to evangelize with wisdom and compassion. Philip begins today's message with a story. During World War II, the United States was at a loss in terms of how to deal with the German U-boat threat. Ships were being sunk at will. And in the middle of that context, Will Rogers, the great American humorist, in an interview with a reporter, suggested an answer to that threat. Here's what he said. Why don't we boil the oceans? The U-boats will turn pink, pop up to the surface... And then it will be easy to destroy them. It will be like shooting ducks in a pond. The reporter looks at him in incredulity and asks him, how in the world would we get the oceans to boil? To which Will Rogers replied, I'm just telling you what to do. It's up to you to work out the details. (laughs) As I've thought about that and laughed at it, I've also thought about the fact that I think that Christians feel the same way about evangelism. We have been told why we ought to evangelize. We've been told what evangelism is. But we're all wanting to know how to do it. We've answered the why, the what, but not the how often in our training for evangelism. We know what it is. Evangelism is the verbal communication of the word of the cross. It's when we share verbally with our neighbors and friends and family that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture, and on the third day He rose again according to the Scripture. Jesus has paid for our sin, and Jesus has broken the back of death and brought light where there's darkness and hope where there's despair and life where there's death. And we communicate that clearly and faithfully. And we do it, hopefully, in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what evangelism is. It's the verbal communication of the gospel. And we know why we ought to do it. There's all kinds of reasons why you and I ought to share the gospel. Number one would be worship. Worship's a reason. Wasn't it John Piper who said that evangelism exists because worship doesn't? Every one of our neighbors, every human being on planet earth is a created being made in God's image, made to have a relationship with him. But because they're born in sin, they're born separated from God, they don't have that relationship. And God longs for that relationship. God has made a means by which that relationship can take place through Jesus Christ. And missions is us communicating God's love to a rebellious world, a world made in his image, but who sadly bow down to images, who sadly make things that which is all important. Compassion is another reason. Our heart breaks. Like Paul, who says that he's in continual sorrow for his countrymen. There's many things that break our hearts. There are many things that cause compassion on our part. We see people in need. We see people in trouble. And our heart goes out to them. That's a good thing. But it's also true of evangelism. Man's greatest need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The greatest threat that mankind faces is the threat of an everlasting hell and separation from God. And compassion ultimately leads you not just to give a cup of water, but to share the gospel of the living water, Jesus Christ. Compassion drives us. Worship drives us. Obedience drives us. Christ has given us his marching orders, Matthew 28. What in the world is the church to be? The church is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're to make disciples of all nations. And so why do we evangelize? Because our neighbors don't worship the God that created them. Why do we evangelize? Because our neighbors are in danger of everlasting destruction. Why do we evangelize? Because Jesus told us to. We know the what, we know the why, but what about the how? How do we do it? What's the best method? What's the best means? Well, that's why we're coming back to Colossians chapter 4. Because in verses 5 through 6, we have one of the few places in all of the New Testament where we are actually told how to witness, where evangelism is explained in terms of a methodology. What we have here is apostolic guidelines to witnessing. You'll remember that it's tied to verses 2 through 4. In verses 2 through 4, the emphasis on speaking to God about man, as Paul calls them to pray that God would give him the right words to say when an open door is presented to him to speak the mystery of Christ. In verses 5 to 6, we have the emphasis is on speaking to man about God. In verses 2 to 4, we have the public preaching of God's Word by those who are gifted of the Holy Spirit and appointed to preach, men like the Apostle Paul. Not everybody's called to do that. So in verses 2 to 4, we have public preaching by some and the need to pray for them. In verses 5 through 6, we have personal evangelism by all. Every Christian is a witness. Every Christian is an ambassador. 
And in verses 5 to 6, Paul explains what that looks like. The context, really at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul has turned from gospel indicatives to gospel imperatives. He has explained to them in the opening two chapters the person and work of Christ. He has given them a theology of Christianity, and now he kind of takes the rubber and makes it meet the road. What does that mean for Monday morning? What does that look like throughout the week? What is the church to do with relation to the outside world? And what you have here is the calling and the character of the new man in Jesus and how the people of God relate to the outsider. Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. This is about life after noon on a Sunday, so to speak, for us. How does the church relate to the world? He's talked to them about life inside the church and how they ought to love each other and minister to each other. Now he talks about life outside the church. Concern and compassion for those without Christ. Now, there is one thing I don't want us to miss, and then we'll actually get to the text. But as I went back over just verses 2 through 4 and then verses 5 through 6, one thing jumped out at me, and that was Paul's passion for souls. I'm challenged by that. You ought to be challenged by that. Continue to earnestly pray, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, pray for us also that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Here's the simple point that grabbed me. Paul is living behind closed doors. He's imprisoned. He's changed. He's incarcerated. He's locked up. But when he asks them to pray, he doesn't ask, hey, pray that I get out of prison. Pray that the door opens. Pray for an exit strategy. He doesn't pray for a door out of prison. He prays for a door to greater evangelism. That's striking. He doesn't pray for an exit door. He prays for an evangelistic door. He doesn't pray for personal comfort or convenience. He prays for greater gospel impact. That's a passion. He's happy to stay there chained so long as opportunities arise to preach the gospel. And they did, because if you read the other prison epistle, Philippians, written around the same time as Colossians, he tells us in Philippians 1 regarding his first imprisonment, which is the background to our letter, that these things have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. And he goes on in chapter 4 to tell us in Philippians that there were those in Caesar's household in the upper levels of government and palace personnel who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Someone has said, sometimes it takes more faith to stay in a place than to go to a place. It's a good word. When it comes to difficult circumstances, we've all got itchy feet. We all are looking for a parachute, not Paul. Because sometimes it takes more faith to stay in a place than go to a place. And Paul's wanting to stay chained up so long as doors open for the gospel. That's challenging, isn't it? So let's come and look at this passage. Now remember, we're in a series, Total Grace. We're trying to remind ourselves that grace is at the beginning of the Christian life, in the middle of the Christian life, at the end of the Christian life, and it will meet us beyond this life. We love the God of all grace. We love the gospel of His grace. We love His Son because His Son is the appearing of grace. 
And the Holy Spirit has been sent to minister grace. And we need to take this gem and look at the various facets. And we've looked at saving grace, Ephesians 2. We've looked at strengthening grace, Hebrews 4. And we started to look here at Colossians 4, speaking grace. Because notice his words. Let your speech always be with grace. So let's look at this methodology of evangelism. If you were with us the last time, and I'm not going to go over this much, be tactful. As you engage those on the outside, the unbeliever, the unchurched, the unsaved, whatever word you want to give them, you'll notice how you're meant to interact with them with wisdom. Now, knowledge is the acquisition of facts. Wisdom is the proper application of those facts. It's skill for living. It's knowing what to do and when to do it for the glory of God when the rule book runs out. And so you and I are to act wisely, to conduct ourselves smartly, to use some tact when we're dealing with those on the outside. If you go to the corresponding passage in Ephesians 5, 15, you'll read where Paul says, walk circumspectly. Very interesting word. It's a word that means precision. So it's like walk very carefully. In fact, that's how your translation might translate it. Mine says walk circumspectly, but walk carefully, judiciously. Don't go running into a situation Go walking carefully into a situation. Know what you're going into, what you're going to do when you're there. So walk circumspectly when it comes to those on the outside. Be careful in how you approach them. Think it out. Think it through. Be wise. I think I've shared this before. When I was growing up as a little boy in Northern Ireland, we used to go over to my grandmother's house, my granny Moore, over in East Belfast. She was under the shadow of the great shipbuilding company, Harlan and Wolf, where the Titanic was built. These were terraced homes, just rows and rows of brick houses. To the back of them were these small backyards that had walls right around them. It was a working class area, and so you find invariably that they cemented pieces of broken glass along the tops of their walls. It was kind of a prevention from burglary or or someone breaking into the home. And often you'd see a cat gingerly walking through the broken glass along the top of the wall. You know, soft paws, sharp glass, just picking its way through, walking circumspectly. That's our word. That's what the cat was doing. That's what you and I ought to do as we go back into the workforce later today or tomorrow, as we go to school, as we engage our neighbors in leisure, put our best foot forward, be thoughtful and tactful. And we looked at the who and the what and the when of that. So let's pick up where we left off. Be tactful. We covered that. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Now here's the second thought. So it's now time to take notes. Be thoughtful. Be thoughtful. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Our personal evangelism ought to be marked by a certain urgency, by a certain sense of compulsion. We can't afford to allow the grass to grow under our feet. People are perishing. The prophetic clock is moving towards midnight. Hell is filling up. 
You only get so many opportunities to share the gospel, you can't waste them. Redeem the time. Because Jesus says, doesn't he, in John 4, 35, don't you know that the fields are already white on the harvest? Implication, there are people in your office, there are neighbors on your street, my street. There are people that God's going to bring across our path who are ready to be saved. Ready to be saved. Ripe for the picking. We need to redeem the time. Because according to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, to reinforce this thought, now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. If people are ever going to get saved, it's now. Before judgment comes. Before God closes the door on opportunity and turns the lock with an everlasting key. My friends, there is a window of time to see people saved for all of eternity, and it's now. Let's unpack this little verse. Redeeming the time. The word redeem comes from the marketplace. Actually, the slave market. This was a word that was used in Paul's day of buying a slave and setting them free. Redeeming them. Now, broadly speaking, it speaks of buying up. Purchasing. So here's the point. What are we purchasing? Time. What are we buying up? Time. Time's a commodity, and it must be bought up. Someone put it like this, time must be bought up like a bargain. My wife's always telling me about bargains, especially in the women's department or at Bath and Body or wherever. It's the bargain, you know. It's, if I don't get so much of this, it'll be gone. Yeah, like our money. <laughs> I get it. Bargains are only there for a certain amount of time. Buy them up. By the bargain. That's Paul here in Colossians. Buy the commodity of time. Buy it up. Buy it up like a greedy shopper in the face of a bargain. In fact, the word time's interesting. It's not the Greek word chronos, chronology, chronometer. It's not speaking about just linear time, you know? One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock. This is kairos. It's a whole different Greek word, and it connotes significant time. It speaks about special periods of time within time. It can speak about opportunity. It can speak about a pivotal moment in history. Kairos, significant time, special time, and that's the word. Buy up the special time, which is the opportunity to share the gospel when it comes. The opportunity to witness will not always be there. But perhaps your life has provoked an opportunity. That seems to be the implication, right? Walk with wisdom. Conduct yourself smartly. And if you live for Jesus Christ that way, the chances are your life may have provoked an opportunity. A person's own crisis or trauma may provoke an opportunity to bring the love of God and the hope of Jesus Christ. Some national crisis or historical moment caused people to look beyond themselves, beyond the material world, beyond the moment they're in, and grasp something for eternity, something that's transcendent and fixed. And when those moments come, and they won't always come, and they won't last forever, You and I need to take them because the people that we meet in those moments will last forever. Somewhere, heaven or hell. And Paul is saying, be urgent. Be urgent. You don't sometimes get a second chance to share the gospel. 
Time is a non-renewable resource. I think we've all got moments in our lives where we've just missed the opportunity. Every time I go to LA Fitness, I'm aware of a moment that happened a while ago that still bothers me when I was in the locker room getting ready. There was a couple of guys talking. I talked to them a little bit. They're not close. They're not friends. But I could have barged into the conversation probably if I wanted to. And in the middle of it all, one of them talked about the afterlife. And kind of like, well, I hope God grades on the curve or, you know what, when we get there, we'll find out. I mean, talk about T-ball. That was T-ball. The ball's there. All I had to do was take a swing at it. And I kept my cheaper closed. And every time I'm in there, I still remember that opportunity I missed. Life's like that. Don't squander it. Don't waste it. When God opens a door... Go through it into the heart of the unbeliever. In fact, as I thought about open doors, I thought about a humorous incident a couple of years ago. I was pursuing a doctorate at TEDS in Chicago, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I was taking a class with D.A. Carson, the premier New Testament scholar in America. He's a Canadian by birth. His dad actually came from Carrickfergus in Northern Ireland. And uh, we were out to lunch. Uh, It was a cold, you know, I think it was a a November or December class. We'd gone to Panera Bread. We were coming back, and I'd kind of lost my sense of where I was. We're in conversation. I realized this in the company of this great man, and we were coming back into the building. I pushed the door open to let him come through. I mean, it's, hey, you know, I'm at the feet of Gamaliel here. This is Dr. D.A. Carson, and and he comes through the door, and as he comes through the door, he says, Philip, it opens automatically. And he's true. I remember that the, because of the cold air, the first two doors open automatically so that they're never left open. There's no point running the heat inside the building if you leave open doors. And you know, and I felt like a klutz. I mean, this brilliant man made me feel like that. Brilliant as he was, he was lacking in grace, mind you. But that's, <laughs> that, that's beside the point. No, no point to expose me, sir. But there you go. And I, so I thought about that open door. You know, those are doors that open all the time. He's right. Philip, those doors open by themselves. And as I've thought about that, evangelism isn't like those doors that just open all the time. But there are times where God holds the door open and provides you with an opportunity that doesn't always come. And at that point, you've got to go through that door and take that opportunity to share the gospel. We're getting instruction on how to evangelize in a message from Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. Today's message is called Salty Speech from our Total Grace series. Catch up on previous messages you might have missed when you go to ktt.org. Online, you'll also find the Know the Truth listener survey. Be sure to let your voice be heard because, after all, this is your ministry. Well, throughout this study, Philip reminds us that it's grace that calls us to Christ, grace that calls us to change, and grace that calls us to share the gospel with others. At Know the Truth, we're delivering messages like today so you can develop the biblical confidence to lean on God's wisdom and grace in every situation. It's why we began this Bible teaching ministry more than eight years ago, taking the teaching of Philip DeCourcy outside the church walls where more men and women can hear and respond to God's truth and grace. Help us continue this ministry when you make a generous donation online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And when you give today, we'll send you a book titled Grace-Focused Optimism by C.L. Chase. Get ready to infuse your soul with God's life-giving, soul-satisfying grace. 
This book explores how grace empowers our everyday lives. Request your copy of Grace Focused Optimism when you make a generous donation to Know the Truth. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And when you're visiting our website, you'll notice we're offering a free CD message from Philip called A New Beginning. It's the first message from the brand new Total Grace series. Request this free message on CD when you call 888-644-8811. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. So glad you joined us today. There's more bold Bible teaching coming up next time when Philip continues to look at the many dimensions of God's total grace. That's Monday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The first time you use Mute can be quite an experience. (laughs) I can breathe. I can breathe. Snoring can happen when your nose is blocked, forcing you to breathe through your mouth. Mute is a comfortable nasal breathing device designed to increase airflow through the nose by gently opening the airways. (laughs) Thanks to Mute, you get all the air you need through your nose and not your mouth which means less snoring and more chance of sleep. Oh, that's the best night I've had in years. In trials, 75% of couples reported a reduction in snoring when using Mute. Available at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid and other fine stores. To find your local store or for more information, go to MuteSnoring.com. Mute. Breathe more. Snore less. Sleep better. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.